this morning, this morning. God, uh, thank you for Mark. Thank you for the life journey that you've given him and the lows and some of those highs this morning, this morning. Those lows have caused him to fall to his knees and look to you. And all of it has brought about a deep faith and love for Jesus. And I pray that you would speak through him now, the words that you've given him, the preparation, the insight into your word, that he would be able now to present it to us in a way that we could understand and that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive. God, would you protect him as he speaks? Would you uh, assign angels on either side of him as he delivers this message? Would you protect our building, keep the enemy far away from us, that we would be completely in line and listening directly to you? And so thank you for this man that will stand before us and share and pray a blessing upon him as he blesses us with your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please welcome Mark the Pope. Right. I don't dance. I don't dance. I don't need a stool unless you want a stool. Oh, thank you. I'm gonna trip over. So good morning. I am Mark, the Pope, because the last name is Popenhagen, and that's too complicated, I assume. Um, normally, you don't see me out here. I'm normally on the other side of that wall, trying to make as much noise as I possibly can make. Our whole goal, just so you know, in case you've ever wondered, is to have everybody turn around at least once per service and wonder what's going on. That is our goal. So now you know. That's how it works. With that said, I have the privilege of working with some of the smartest kids in the world. They're awesome. They're very brilliant. So I will do my best to bring it down a little bit today <laughs> so that no one gets confused, no one gets lost. I also want to add that the coolest part about working with kids is that if you're doing something right, they let you know. They're exuberant. There's an amen. There's a cheer. There's something. So I expect a little bit of interaction today, okay? Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. <laughs> the other cool part is that if you're doing something they don't like, they let you know. That opinion you may hold to yourself. <laughs> so as we move forward, um, we've been working in James for a long time. This is the sixth week of James. So if you haven't already, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Feel free to use your phone, watch, implant, whatever you got going on. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible at home, take one with you. Try to find one that is attached to the back of the binding. That's all good. But we've been talking about James, and it started with Alex just kicking it off and just letting us know the context of the message. It was written between 44 and 49 AD. It's right when the first followers of Christ were moving forward. It was a scary time. Disciples were being killed. People are being persecuted. And James had to write a letter to show us what we needed to do. That's why it's not as fluffy as Psalms and, and pretty. The next week, Brian talked to us about that awesome, wonderful topic, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. And we discussed that because we're all going to have persecution. We're all going to have hurt. We're all going to have things. And then we learned with Roger about how faith without works is dead and that we're in, supposed to demonstrate our faith to the world. We talked about the power of the tongue, how destructive it can be. And then finally last week Brian talked about conflict, not necessarily with others, but maybe our conflict with God and who comes first. So today 
We're at chapter 5, the triumphant conclusion. We've been through the story. We've been through the drama, the ups, the downs. We're rising up to that triumphant ending when everything becomes a Disney film, just like Infinity War. Just checking out, see who's there. Now we know. Unfortunately, James still has some, some things to deal with with us in the last chapter. So if you don't mind, open up your Bibles. We're in chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 7, and you can read along while I read. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Isn't that what we all want to hear? Amen. Right, be patient. What a great book in. We start out with count it all joy. We end with deal with it. <laughs> you know, God, God wants us to be patient to follow him. He wants us to understand that there is something out at the end. And despite what they were going through, despite the pain, despite the agony, and despite this, the uncertainty of being a first century follower of Jesus... That already James was pointing to the end and the goal. It was in these times that they had to start learning patience, endurance. Because in these times they had to start figuring out that we got to do this together, right? Everybody gets, everybody gets endurance? Everybody gets perseverance? You're kind of nodding? Yes. Remember the interactive thing we were talking about earlier? <laughs> Good job, sort of. I can hear. I'm right here. Uh, so with that said... Who are my runners in the room? This is Colorado. Who runs in this room? Runners. Runners. Raise your hands. Be proud. Runners. Okay. So, runners. Physical discipline. Mental discipline, right? Anybody ever run a 10K? Raise your hand. Boulder, boulder. Anybody run the boulder, boulder? Yeah? I looked. I didn't see any of your faces in there, just so you know. <laughs> so you can say what you want to say. 10K. 6.2 miles. Nothing. Mark sprints it. He does. He just boogies through, right? <laughs> Easy. How about a marathon? Any marathon runners? Wow, that's awesome. This is from the Boston Marathon this year. That looks fun. <laughs> Do you notice, and this is why I am not a runner. Do you notice that no one looks happy about running? <laughs> that's very cool. See the lady back there in the black, the black thing and, and the stripe? Anybody know her name? Desiree Linden. She won it this year on the women's side. No, she didn't start out in front. This is about halfway through. I'll save that whole story for another time. Has anybody ever done an Iron Man or Iron Woman? What? Nobody? Come on. Measly 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then, because I still have time, a marathon. <laughs> and I look at this. I remember in college, we used to watch this on TV. About 15 of us in this room going, wow. But we didn't just say, wow. And that was it. <laughs> but I have found there's even a worse race than this. It's called Biggs. I the right name perfectly right. It's called Biggs Backyard Ultra Race. <laughs> Biggs Backyard Ultra Race. It's in Tennessee. This is from October 20th of this year. And here's the race for you runners. 
It's a 4.2-mile course. You have an hour to run it. That's like a 15-minute mile, right? I might be able to do it. <laughs> Here's the kicker. It starts at like 7 in the morning, and they all line up, and they say, go, and you have an hour to run 4.2 miles. And then at 8, they hit a button, and you go, and you have an hour to run 4.2 miles. And then you hit a button, and you go, and the hour to run 4.2 miles. And it's not like who finishes first. The race is over when there's only one person left. <laughs> That's just wrong. So I'm going to focus on the lady in the left, Courtney. And I know she looks kind of tired. <laughs> Courtney, I'm focusing on Courtney because Courtney's from Golden, Colorado. And um, Courtney's run a lot of these races because it kind of eliminates the male-female thing because it's all about endurance and mental toughness, right? This is 55 hours into the race. <laughs> 70 people started this race. This is 55 hours later. So they'd run for 45 minutes and rest for 15. And there's these like hilarious stories about what they do in those 15 minutes to get ready for the next thing. I would love to give you a big happy ending, but Courtney did not win this race. Courtney came in second. She ran for 67 hours, 279 miles. Ponder that for just a second. Yes. They slept for 10 minutes at a time. They would eat. And if you went too slow, you ran out of time, then you couldn't even go to the bathroom or do anything, and that really stinks. The winner was the guy next to her, Johan Steen. He's 44. How many? If you're under 44, here's your race. Chev, this one's for you. I know. This is your race right there. So that's endurance. That's power. That's what James is talking about, is that physical toughness, that emotional toughness. And you know, we're always just captivated by this. We're all looking at this going, wow, none of us want to do it. <laughs> Boy, that's cool. We're amazed about what athletes can do and the training they take. That's why they make billions of dollars on the Olympics. We're not running it. We're cheering. We're amazed about how scientists can put all their effort in to find a cure for a disease. That's endurance. Perseverance. We're amazed about how many days Jack trains for the hot dog eating contest every day. Amazing. Endurance. It's true. But God isn't talking about just our, our physical endurance. Not We're going to keep going in uh, James here. We're going to start at uh, 510. So brothers and sisters... As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take also the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, James is speaking to us at a time when things are crazy. Things are crazy now. He's writing out a place of urgency. It's not a love letter. It's not some beautiful prose. It's a sense of urgency. Like, there is no time for me to be cute right now. This is what you need to do, and this is why. Have you ever taught a kid how to drive a car? Raise your hand. Kids, have you ever had your parents teach you to drive a car? It's scary, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's all nice when you get in. 
okay, check your mirrors. Is your seat right? Lean back, lean forward, turn left, don't do it. And you get out, and less than five minutes later, you're screaming, stop! You're grabbing the wheel, you're hitting the brake that's not there. <laughs> it's a sense of urgency. James doesn't have time to be nice. He has time. He's like, you're suffering, and we're suffering the day. You know, when we're here in America, we're so blessed. We're not dealing with what's happening around the world. There's Christians being killed right now as we stand here and speak. There's people being persecuted right now as we're in this room. We're afraid to take our Bibles to work. But it's still persecution, right? God calls us to be more than just physical and mental tough. He calls us to be in love with him and spiritually tough. And part of this, what we're learning about, is how do we do that? You see, our perseverance with God as followers of Jesus is not about the physical trials. It's about the spiritual ones. James referenced Job. There's a fun story. <laughs> hey, guess what? We took away everything you had, your health, and now you're sitting in ashes scraping boils with a rock. Even Lisa wouldn't do that. <laughs> and Lisa helps a lot of people with some really strange stuff. God wants us to know that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how horrible it is, He is there. We learn of all these wonderful stories in the Bibles about prophets that fought away through. Moses argued with God, don't send me. He wasn't perfect. Job wasn't perfect. None of the disciples were perfect. But that spiritual perseverance drove them forward. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, that you, us, me, will not grow weary and lose heart. It's really easy to know it's going to be okay. I know it right here. It's really hard to know it right here. Jesus knew it. He knew it when he was getting beaten. He knew it when he was getting spit on. He knew it when they were making fun of him. He knew it when he picked up my cross that I was supposed to be nailed on and started walking to the hill where he's going to be hung on it. He had the physical toughness. I don't know. He fell quite a bit. Had to have some help. But he had the spiritual toughness that he knew at the end of that journey he would bring us to him, to God. He persevered when no ordinary person could because of God. 
It's that kind of perseverance, that kind of spiritual power that he has put into us with the Holy Spirit. It's that kind of drive that we have about each other. It's that sort of thing that he is leading us to, to go from here to here. C.S. Lewis has said a lot of great things. As I noticed, we all love the C.S. Lewis quotes. God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we have no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them. What does that mean? It means God doesn't, God doesn't care about what we're going through. He cares that we look at him when we go through it. I mean, he cares. He loves. He doesn't want us to hurt. I don't know what you're going through. We're all going through something. But what are we looking at when we go through it? There's too many times that I've seen people suffering, myself included. I am the worst one up here to talk about this. That instead of looking up to God and what God has, I look for something else that will fill me right that moment. It could be TV, it could be Facebook, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be other people, it could be whatever. It could be running, I don't know why, <laughs> but it could be. But we try to find something to replace that which is already there. And it never really works, does it? We forget that we're not alone. We forget we've never been alone. If you've been going to church your whole life, or this may be the first time you're here because someone said, hey, let's go grab breakfast, and they drug you in this room, you're not alone. Even if you don't believe in God or Jesus, you're not alone. He's still here. He still loves you. I'm going to ask you all to read something with me really quick. This is out of Joshua. I want you to read it with me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a promise. That's a big promise that we often forget. God has not left us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will walk with us through whatever we're walking through. And I get it. There's times when you're walking through something you don't want to deal with anybody else. I get it. You're doing things, and, and I don't want people to know what I'm going through. You know, when that time comes, you've got to realize that we really do. We have to be choose, choose to be part of his family. And that's more than it's part of it, the beginning part of saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Take me. Help me. I'm sorry. The other part is choosing to be part of his family. So you don't know me very well, so I'm going to use this as a quick counseling session. Um, I appreciate it. So we've lived in Colorado for eight years now. I figured that out today. I did the math. We moved out here in September of 2012. Before that, we lived in Kansas City. It was pretty cool. Chiefs. Um, sorry, couldn't resist. Um, I was a pastor of a network of small house churches. It was awesome. We'd go into homeless camps. I remember Gideon and Izzy as babies sitting on these people's knees under bridges. 
hugging them, talking to them. I remember spending Thanksgivings sitting with people and eating with them, and then a week after Thanksgiving when people keep bringing them stuff. I remember watching God work. We had our own company doing senior moving and estate sales, so I got to go through everybody's junk drawer, which is cool. Life was, life was pretty good. We weren't rich. We were happy. And then one day, my wife comes home and says, hey. I'm like, hey, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm like, oh. Well, let's pray about that. So we continued on for a while. One day, she came home and said, hey. I go, hey, I don't believe in marriage anymore. I'm like, oh. So we filed for divorce. Started working our way through that. What did that mean with my life and our business and the church? We ended up shutting down the church just because of everything that was going on. And then next, we decided the last minute, let's see if we can fix it. And I've been on my face every day praying. But let's get out of this circle. So we packed up our bags and moved to Boulder, Colorado. We got out here. It was, it was rough. I forced my kids to leave behind every friend they ever had. I forced my kids to leave their school. They like Colorado now. They're up here making faces. <laughs> I remember they both looked at me one time and said, I hate you. God doesn't believe in divorce. Because right around that time, I said, hey, hey, I still don't believe in marriage. People of our church, some went back to church, some have never been in a church again. I left behind my mentors and my friends and everybody else, and I walked in horror and embarrassment and humiliation and everything else you can have. I couldn't even look you in the eye. But I knew we needed God here. So we'd go to Flatirons because you can hide anywhere at Flatirons. <laughs> and they had a zip line for Gideon. <laughs> Let's just be honest. We did home church at home because that's what we're used to. We'd sing, we'd read the Bible, then we'd cook marshmallows on the gas fire. That was pretty cool. And then God kept bringing us up here, so we'd come up here in this little rotation. And we'd sneak in the back. Only the people that work with the kids really figured out who I was. Thank you. Um, I'd put the kids back there. I'd sneak in and hide right back in that back corner. So I see you guys back there in the back corner. <laughs> the worst part about hiding in the back corner is at first you're really freaked out because the worship band's singing and they're all looking at you. And it took me like three times to realize that the words are behind my head. And I'm like, why are you looking at me? God, stop it. <laughs> I get it, God. I'm sorry. I'll quit hiding. But I didn't quit hiding. I'd move around because what I've realized a lot, because as a pastor, you learn a couple things. You learn who the greeters are. You learn who the talkers are. You know who the people are. All you got to do is move away from them. Do you know that everybody sits in the same seats all the time? And when they sit in the same seats all the time and you move around, you're new every week. It works out great. Finally, one day I was like, okay. I, gotta, I was like, in the end, I'm starting to do my 
looking for my exit, and I turned right, and I was going to go, and I'm like, oh, they're talking, I'm blocked. I turned left, and like in slow motion, ran right into the smiling face of Chris Tosea. <laughs> and I felt like the Grinch. My heart went, <laughs> like trapped by Chris Tosea. And at that moment, I realized that I had wasted way too much time. That my plan to be away kept me from God. My plan not to hear God kept me from God. And he was still there. And he was surrounding me. And he was loving me with this amazing group of people. It slowed down my healing. It slowed down their healing. It took a while for me to really decide that, hey, am I going to choose to be part of this family? There's people here that know how to do that great. A man, Albert, walks in the church, stays here a little bit, hangs out. We say, hey, who wants to go to Juarez? Albert goes, I want to go to Juarez. I'm like, dude, you've just been here. I don't know, let's go. <laughs> it's awesome. Okay, let's go. Henry walks in, hangs out for a bit, starts joining life groups, multiple life groups, even the cool young life group that I'm not allowed to go to. But he goes to those life groups. He does that. Shows up at the packing party. His kids run all over the place. He's like, I'm running to my cave. Like, all our kids do that. Let them run. Right? Luke, not my father, and Edith. Show up one week, packing boxes the next week. That night, actually. They jump right in. And immediately they're making an impact. I know it's hard to trust people. I know it's hard to trust people. I know it's hard to trust Billy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I learned something from a mentor once, and he goes, Mark, why don't you talk to somebody? And I go, because I don't trust them. He goes, no, Mark, you don't trust that God can work in them. You don't trust that God can speak through them to you. So no, I may not altogether trust Billy but I trust God working through Billy. He's had more compassion on me than most of the people I've ever met. He's probably one of the first people I really opened up to. I trust God working through Zach. I trust God working even through Josiah, who brings me joy. <laughs> A lot of joy. I really made that. You're awesome. And I find the more I talk to people, the more I trust people, the more I see that God works through them. And that's a trust. That's from here to here now, right? Getting closer? As a church, we got to be able to take that and be that trust. Right? we got to be able to open these doors and say, come on in. Our mission statement, you guys seen it, what, 6,085 times? <laughs> we, Rock Creek Church... Rock Creek Church, not Brian, not Alex, not Mimi, not the greeter, Alan, not anybody. We exist to equip every person to take the next step in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's us. It's all of us. And that may mean having a really uncomfortable conversation with a weird guy like me. Or not one to look me in the eyes when you could tell I was bleeding on the inside.
or trying to run away when you're worried that the problem might be something you don't want to solve. But it's we. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I would tell you a lot about him, but I'm already running a little over, and I'm going to start getting the stink eye from some of you. <laughs> but Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. Listen with the ears of God so we can speak the word of God. What if we did that every day? What if we just reached out when we needed to reach out? What if we reached out and we saw pain? We're not being asked to carry a cross a half mile through a road having people throw stuff at us. We're being asked to reach out and say, hey, how you doing? I love you and I miss you. We're asked to be reaching out and say, hey, what's going on? Or, hey, I don't know you. My name is Mark. I promise you I'll forget your name in four hours, and I'll have to ask again, and I'll say something goofy to remember it. <laughs> right? Isn't that who we're supposed to be? Because too often, we look an awful lot like this. This is church to us. We stare at the back of each other's heads. We listen to the music. We look at the person's spot in the back of their head in front of us. And then church is over and we turn around and then we look at the back of everybody else's heads <laughs> and say, hey, they have a bald spot too. And then we walk out the door and we're gone. It's not the way it's meant to be. Never the way it was supposed to be. See, James goes on to say, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, praise. If you're sick, call on the elders and be healed. And if you see a brother or sister falling, you lift them up and remove them from sin. And then he ends his letter. Like, gotta go. <laughs> Get this done. Because he understood that for everything in the world, we need to be practical. And how many times have I heard, I just wish you would tell me what to do. It does tell us what to do. It says love each other, even when you don't want to, even when you can't. Lift each other up, even when you don't want to, even when you can't. I want to read this, this little quote to you, and then we'll be close to being done. So in, in the beginning, I showed you a picture of my guys at the, the ultra-thon race, right? And they're all standing there like this. I'm sure glad I became a runner. <laughs> I should have been a coder. They sit all day, eat bonbons, create cool apps. So Johann Steen was the guy that won. He was the guy next to Courtney, right? And she came up shook his hand. And, and she said this in this interview that she went to the line and she just knew she couldn't go. She goes, so sometimes they play mind games. Say, so, okay, if we're going to go, I give do that. Ratio. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then said she stood up and shook his hand and congratulated him. Right there in that line. And so later in his Facebook page, he posted, 
At the moment when Courtney congratulated me and remained in the corral as I jogged away alone into the Tennessee night, I didn't feel joy. I felt empty and without purpose. You cannot carry the illusion by yourself. It takes at least two to play. Thanks, Courtney Dahlwalter, for taking us this far. We are good at playing this game. He realized that what made that special was not the fact he was going to win, but how they got through it. They suffered together for 67 hours with maybe a 10 to 15 minute break every hour. We suffer with each other every day. It shouldn't be three hours on Sunday. When James writes this, he's telling us, lift each other up. Love each other. You can do this together. And together, it's a lot easier. I'm going to ask you all to stand up. Just stand up. Because you look like you're getting sleepy. <laughs> and then, I want you to look at each other. I want you to turn around. Look around the room. If you're like me, and you're a little vertically challenged, stand on a chair. <laughs> and if that offends you, I will clean the chair later. But I'm serious, if you can't see, look around. Who do you know? Who do you don't know? Why do they wear those shoes? I wonder what kind of coffee they like. Because this is, this is the, the church that God gave us, and it's a family, right? Every week, someone stands up here and says, hey, welcome to Rock Creek. Let's go get some coffee. We want to meet you. And we do. I love coffee. If you don't know me, I love coffee. Let's go grab something to eat. I love to eat. <laughs> I don't love to run. <laughs> we look around, but you know what? You could ask him to go have coffee. You could say, hey, do you eat lunch? I eat lunch. Let's go eat lunch. I don't know you. What a coincidence. I eat dinner too. <laughs> you can invite someone to come over and watch a movie, which was awesome. Thank you. You can do whatever you do. Keep looking at each other. Don't look at me. Keep looking at each other. I've even looked at me this whole time. Get probably bored now. Because I'm going to tell you this. If we look at each other and get from here to here, we can count it all joy. Amen. Because it's no longer carrying my own load. It's a lot easier to carry stuff together. No matter what the trial is. Right? Our faith is not without works. Our faith is has works that are amazing, like packing boxes for little kids in Juarez, like serving people down at Lamb's Lunch, like coming out and doing all these wonderful things. Whatever it is, our faith does things and it makes people see God. Amen. If we tame our tongue, it does not become an instrument of destruction. It becomes something that builds, something that heals something that changes the world. And conflict doesn't exist anymore because we're peacemakers. Isn't that what God said we were? Not alone, but together. And finally, we can endure and we can persevere because we're persevering and enduring and walking in love together. Even if it feels weird to look someone else in the eyes.
Let's have a couple of very simple challenges, goals for you. If you do it, I'll give you a coin. <laughs> if you get four coins, you get a prize. That's how it works. So you know. One, if you're new or you've been here for a long time and you've never plugged yourself in, do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is one of the most loving places in the area. I love this place. And I'm not saying there's not other churches that are great, because there are, and we're all one big church. But if you plug into this one, then we grow to the next one, and then we really can be a universal church. But we've got to start right here in this room. You're here for a reason. And that if you're online, listening to the podcast, you're still part of this. Plug in, reach out, be brave. Stop hiding in the corner. I see you back there. <laughs> and two, if you've been here forever, I challenge you to reach out to someone you don't know. Change your seats once in a while, Josh. <laughs> Sit on this side. It's really nice over here. Take someone out for a cup of coffee to ask about their problems and mean it, to goof around in the front row. <laughs> but to enjoy each other and cry with each other and laugh with each other and you at moments be flabbergasted by what someone's going through and you had no idea. Those are my two challenges. They're really easy. So we're going to pray now um, before the worship band just sends us off with the glory of God. And I want you to hold hands when we pray. And if you're germophobic, you can touch elbows. <laughs> it's a little weird, but you can do it. But we're going to hold hands. Here, Gideon, I'm going to come down to you. We're going to hold hands. And we're going to pray together as a family that perseveres together. God, I thank you for this awesome group of people that you made, that you created to love you and each other. God, I ask you to give us the strength to walk forward in unity. I ask you to give us the courage to look each other in the eye. I ask you to give you the hearts to love. And God, whatever we do, whatever we say, God, I pray it glorifies you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.